0: Hi, my name is Michael Williams, and welcome to the first episode of Understanding Politics. Today, we'll be talking about the history of the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party was ideally founded by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison when they created the Democratic Republicans. This party, when deciding whether to move towards the Constitution or the Articles of Confederation, decided they wanted less government involvement, especially in economics, social life, and how the military was run. They wanted their money to be spent on their own state, and not have to fund a national government or enforce other laws that were less popular to other states. They very much preferred a Unitarian system of government. They were much against the writings of Federalist Ten. Though. The Democratic Republicans did agree with the Federalists on one thing, and that was that factionalism must be beat. And at the end of the day, even though we don't love each other, we must come together and create a unified America, because being together is worse than being apart. <laughs> and we'll see that further on in the podcast, how Democrats who were pro-slavery, pro-slavery tried to keep the country together even though a lot of people didn't like their vision for it. The way I describe Democratic Republicans and the beginning of the Democratic Party is it was very uh, classical liberalism. And there were more liberal Democrats. Now, today, the term liberal Democrats means very uh, more left-leaning Democrats in the Democratic Party. But as I'm using the term right now, liberal Democrats are people who wanted government out of their lives, but still wanted government to control the day-to-day tasks. They wanted less taxation and less regulation in private and public sector, but they believed that government there was ultimately to keep the peace and to keep us all sane. The Democratic Party formed in 1828 when Martin Van Buren ran as the first Democrat for president. He was the governor of New York, and he was well known for his dealings of the Albany Regency, which was the first known political machine in American politics. Democrats are often known as the party of government today, and these are some of the first roots of being that party of government, forming the Albany Regency and Tammany Hall, other political machines that were seen as more corrupt, and favored government patronage over, say, meritocracy. There's someone being a farmer and then becoming a lawyer. For example, like Abraham Lincoln, someone working from the bottom to the top, you know. Martin Van Buren was a very strong Jeffersonian, and he was also a liberal Democrat. He was against federalism. After Martin Van Buren ran and won the presidency, after his time was up, Andrew Jackson came into power. Andrew Jackson was known as a war hero of his time. And he was known as one of the first sort of populist figures to win the American presidency. Andrew Jackson favored patronage. He deregulated the central bank. And he's most famously known for the Trail of Tears and the Indian Removal Act. Andrew Jackson also created a new currency after he deregulated the Central Bank, and he strengthened relations with foreign nations. Something that Democrats are known for, along with Republicans, is being more interventionist, especially when it comes to World War II or the Vietnam War. And we started to see these roots in Andrew Jackson, as once he won the presidency, he was well known as being a statesman. And reaching out to other countries and trying to improve economic conditions. After that we have the Missouri Compromise, which ultimately was repealed by the Kansas-Nebraska Act. This was Stephen Douglas's doing for the most part. He believed in popular sovereignty, so again, that's a very liberal-democrat thing to believe in. Less government intervention and let the people decide if they want slavery in Kansas or Nebraska. And then, you know, whatever the people decide, they know the best. So even on a, on an issue like slavery, we have the 2020 hindsight to know that no slavery is the best option. But the original founding of the Democratic Party was they were liberal Democrats. And they did believe in less government intervention, which is a different departure from what we'll see from now where they're very much neoliberals and they believe in more government intervention when it comes to social policy and even some economic policy than when they were liberal democrats. So the democrats put up John Breckinridge in 1860. He was a very pro-slavery president and this kind of divided the party because There were war Democrats, which thought we needed to succeed from the South and create our own country that was pro-slavery and more economically conservative, more economically libertarian, and kind of let states do their own things and have a weaker, weaker central government. And there were peace Democrats, which wanted to stay in the framework of the United States because, as you know, they just had the Drew Scott, the Dred Scott decision. Which would make slavery not a crime and would make sure that enslaved citizens would be returned to southern states. That decision was very favorable for Democrats at the time, and they believed that if we had stayed in the framework of the Constitution, we could keep slavery for a much longer time. Then, of course, you know, they succeed, the Confederate Party, which is very much a lot more Democrats than Republicans, probably like 90% Democrats. Uh, They succeed, you know, the South loses the war. And then we have Andrew Johnson, who gets elected after Abraham Lincoln, and he goes into the Reconstruction period. And during the Reconstruction period, this is a time looked back on by many scholars where the North didn't go hard enough on the South it didn't stop Jim Crow era laws from starting, you know, poll taxes, literacy tests, segregation, stuff like that. We could have gone harder, but a president like Andrew Johnson, who believed he had, he had this feeling in him that white people were a little bit more superior than black people, were smarter, were better, and to It really was a bad time for our country. Andrew Johnson just wasn't the right president for the moment, in my opinion. And we'll see that the Democratic Party, which we'll talk about the party switch later in the 60s slash 70s, after like Lyndon B. Johnson, this was really a bad moment for our country, in in my opinion, as someone who leans more left on the spectrum. This was a time where we could have nipped inequality in the butt, especially in the South but giving over power to someone like Andrew Johnson, who was just, is just not, hindsight is twenty twenty, but he was just not as, you know, not as fair as he should have been to all races. So this begins the emergence of the solid South and kind of the new democratic majority. This majority is still pro-business, and I'd say Jefferson and Madison were pro-business, but now the way the economy is shaping, where we're coming into the Industrial Revolution, where we have more like workers and bosses and the class divide is deepening, this is where we start to see the South pursue more pro-business from the North, which is more Republican at the time. And this Democratic Party was more protectionist, So they opposed imperialism, a stronger military, kind of like trying to strengthen our home economies. They approved of the gold standard, which is kind of the standard we use today, which is uh, kind of Federal Reserve, trying to fight against inflation, you know, lower inflation, trying to keep monetary policy stable. Uh, They crusaded against higher taxes, tariffs, which would, you know, create stronger, stronger uh, domestic products at home, and they were against corruption, though that's kind of funny because everyone is against corruption. So that's kind of the period from 1870 to 1890, until we get Williams Jennings Bryant, and he is kind of the more populous candidate for the Democrats. He led a lot of uprisings in the South, especially during this time they had the Kansas Revolts, and... They had some more uh, anti-capitalist parties, and Williams Jennings Bryant was kind of cut from that cloth. He he was kind of looking for a different economic system. He believed in free silver, which would give more monetary spending to unions and workers and lesser people to be able to start businesses. But this policy in the end is more inflationary and less stable. and. He wanted to stop corporate greed at all costs. He really uh, didn't, didn't didn't, think the system was working for everyone, which, if you know modern politics today, that's very much a Bernie Sanders line, and you could easily make the comparison between these two. Except William Jennings Bryant was more famous for his Scopes trial, where he argued against evolution and argued for creationism, which creationism today, would not have a place in the Democratic Party. But it's so weird to see these opposites of, you know, more anti-capitalists economically, but very socially conservative. There's just not a place for people like that in the Democratic Party anymore. But in the 1890s, this was kind of the stop that the Democratic Party made along their progression, where there was more left people in the party, but the mainstream of America was still very conservative. So... It's just a very, it's just a very crazy, uh, reality. And now after William Jennings Bryant, he never becomes president. He gives his favorite famous, uh, cross of gold speech where he combines, you know, this more anti-capitalist rhetoric, rhetoric with more socially conservative rhetoric. And he, uh, he never wins president. He actually runs third party. One time he splits the ticket, uh, not great years for Democrats. And then Woodrow Wilson becomes president next. And Woodrow Wilson is openly known as a racist supporter of the KKK. Um, But for the sake of this uh, podcast, we're not going to dive into that. I just want everyone to know that I do not support that side of him. But in the end, he did support the League of Nations. And He's most famous for his 14 points, which was kind of, this is definitely more imperialist than other Democrats. This is kind of setting the table for FDR and Harry Truman. Presidents who are, are seen as more war hawks, same with LBJ. They believed in you know, intervening in Europe especially and trying to make sure that Europe and America were causes for good in the world. This is also where the Democratic Party becomes more anti-communist because after Williams, Jennings, Bryant, it's kind of seen as a farther left party than it is today. So party leaders were really trying to make sure that they could compete with Republicans and swing voters by making sure that they were more in the center. So Woodrow Wilson is famous for that. The United Nations, you know, trying to be a more globalist president and trying to put you know, international politics first. He's also the first president in the Democratic Party to establish uh, tariffs, making sure that, you know, we were strengthening our economy at home, you know, and this would really help us before we globalize, because if we have strong economies at home for say, you know, milk, you know, uh, agriculture, uh, factories, you know, All that important stuff, we can really globalize those markets and then we can create more wealth in the future. So, that was one big thing that Woodrow Wilson was known for. He was also known for antitrust. He was the first president to really crack down on the oil companies and the banks and make sure that, you know, under capitalism, the most important thing is competition. You know, that's that's why we're in capitalism, because humans like to innovate and they like to compete. And uh, sorry for all my lefty friends out there, but uh, it's true. Capitalism is the best economic system. But the thing is, when government doesn't step in and play a role, and you're going to see this is a more Keynesian Keynesian line of economics, where uh, government can come in and actually make the economy better. And... This theory is kind of frowned upon now by the Democratic Party, but in the early nineteen twenties, this is how this is how Democrats thought. This is how we could weather the storm, you know, and create a better economy that worked for all people. And that's kind of what the Democratic Party was at the time. It was a people's party for everyone. Before we started talking about that nasty thing, race, uh, and also Woodrow Wilson expanded president power he uh couldn't get the versailles treaty through congress but he did sign off on it and basically i'll just give a quick rundown of the versailles treaty but a lot of people argue that it was too tough on germany and maybe we should have been a lot looser and germany just would have stayed like a liberal democracy and maybe fought off Nazism better at home instead of us having to crack down the fist and growing resentment against the establishment. Kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the approach we want to take against Trump Republicans I'm kind of like, as someone who is more on the left, do we want to crack down against, you know, QAnon or election conspiracies, or do we want to like keep them sort of in the mainstream but still Fight against them with public will instead of government will because those are two different things and you set dangerous precedents if the government is doing it compared to if the people, if democracy, you know, thrives through that. And we already talked about the KKK. Um, Yeah, Woodrow Wilson was very, uh, not there on the race issue at his time. And he was kind of the last Democratic president that was, uh, very um not not um <laughs> not socially liberal that we uh see not that f d r and l b j were socially liberal really at the time, but they just uh well l b j signed the civil rights act but uh f d r it's kind of like we start seeing from Wilson the progression of moving more to the left culturally and just uh, being more aware of racism when we start seeing these newer presidents so now after woodrow wilson we get you know the great depression we have the roaring 20s and then we get the great depression herbert hoover yada yada i'll do a republican podcast later yeah i hate those cucks Uh, (laughs) anyways laugh uh pretty much congress set the stage for more liberal government as The Democrats controlled the House of Representatives from 1930 until 1994, uninterrupted. And they had the Senate for 44 out of 48 years. So from the 1930s to really the 1960s, and a little, and you know, you have Jimmy Carter in there before, you know, the Reagan revolution, we see like complete Democratic control. And a lot of people really argue against one party rule and i'm you know i'm not i'm not in favor of one party i'm still i still love democracy you know but i'm to see to see a party that has checks and balances within it cuz you still very much had conservative democrats the democratic party was kind of fighting its own battle at the time along with the republicans it had to break away from this you know southern these Southerners who were really just, you know, holding the country back, in my opinion, of course. I mean, this is kind of like everyone agrees that slavery was horrible and these poll taxes and literacy tests were bad. And really, I just agree as someone who is more socially democratic on the political spectrum that Franklin, Franklin Roosevelt meant the moment. And in my humble opinion, he saved America. And... He saved capitalism, he, he kept us in this government that works so well for everyone and for all of us. And when Franklin Roosevelt comes to power, he really switches the Democratic Party into a social democratic ten, tenets. He says, you know, I welcome your hate. You may not like my agenda, but he knows that this is gonna work for the moment. And he pushes through p- more public education funding. We actually, there was a Supreme Court case that almost tried to outlaw private education, and that didn't work. It was Oregon v. So- Society Sisters, something like that. It didn't work. But we really see the American economy just shift from more public works projects, you know, Tennessee Valley Authority. Uh, we start to see, you know, more roads, kind of like before the Eisenhower highway system, we had more funding. For those highways, uh, just transportation, more cars, the automobile, and this also comes from antitrust. And Roosevelt was big on the antitrust legislation. He, you know, he broke up the banks. He broke up, you know, J.P. Morgan. He went to the oil companies. He tried to break them up. He tried to, you know, do this Keynesian economics where he gets in with government and he makes sure that the wealthy are not hoarding their wealth. And that they're still contributing to society, so we can have poor people try to climb up that ladder. And that's really the big thing you see today: is that oh, houses have gone up. You know, inflation is crazy. You can't afford you know a home to live. You can't afford to go to college. You can't afford to start a family. These were things that FDR was really passionate about. And now we measure our economy on GDP. You know, uh, inflation. We don't measure it on, you know, average household income, average uh, student debt intake. You know, we don't measure it by that. And FDR really established, like, public public colleges. A lot of the public colleges we go to today were established during his president, presidency. Even the one I'm at, State University of Fredonia, early 1900s. This was really, I mean... Republicans too were good on education back then, but this is where, in my humble opinion as a Democrat, putting my biases aside, this was where Democrats became seminal on education and the best on education. All these public works programs and the government just, you know, creating innovation and wealth and making sure people weren't left behind. This is, FDR is still known as like one of the, like, kind of, racist presidents especially for his time in the 1930s you know like he did have the benefit of hindsight and like he could have done better but there's just the and i and i agree with those people and but look at looking at just class politics instead of race if you take race out of it the new deal was the biggest mover of economic wealth for black people this country has ever seen and you look at the studies and you just see the amounts of money in tennessee you know in the south going through creating these public works projects he was employing black people that were getting discriminated against and it was kind of like a, you know he kind of lucked into it but that's just the way forgetting like redlining and all of this stuff these social democratic norms no matter how much he tried to ignore ignore race he still, he lifted everyone up by their bootstraps. And I believe that he saved America. We also have to touch on, you know, FDR packing the Supreme Court. Um, look, it's it's true. Democrats uh, don't like the Constitution as much as Republicans because Republicans try to conserve, Democrats try to progress. Um, basically, um, as someone who is more on the left and kind of identifies himself as a progressive or more like liberal democrat uh i'm not a socialist by any means um we needed we needed to make sure that child labor laws were constitutional like what the fuck guys um we needed to make sure that the minimum wage was constitutional like if your constitution doesn't include that and i'll talk about more how the supreme court has kind of changed under liberal ideologies and Roe v. Wade, um, Citizens United, uh, gun laws, um, trying to expand the role of government in those, but trying to expand it into having more freedoms because you need government there to have more freedoms. And sorry if this podcast has kind of been like going uh, in circles, but this is just kind of where I feel the Democratic Party was at its heyday, where Democratic liberalism was taking off and you'll see after FDR we have we have LBJ or well we have John F. Kennedy in there but uh he gets assassinated um he wins against Richard Nixon um he's kind of very anti-communist in his rhetoric he's kind of you know he's continuing on the legacy he was a great president, you know, Camelot, uh, yada yada. I'm not really gonna dive much into him because he doesn't really affect the history of the Democratic Party that much. Sorry, um, all you Kennedy lovers. We're um, gonna talk more about LBJ and the Great Society and Vietnam. Um, this was really where the oh, I completely skipped over it, but uh, we won, we won World War II, and uh, that along with those great economic policies that I praise FDR for he has this missing ingredient that missing ingredient that the left is missing today and that's this american exceptionalism the patriotism this is this is kind of how he got more right leaning people to go with his policies and how we ended up you know improving america for the best was this patriotic lens and you know i don't I don't agree with American exceptionalism, that there's no country better than America, but America is one of the best nations to live on Earth. That That's just a fact, um, especially now when it comes to social policies and LGBTQ rights, and we're, we are definitely ahead of the curve when it comes to the majority of, you know, all the other countries on Earth. We are exceptional when it comes to poverty, when it comes to other stuff, like, it may it may be awful here for some people and i'm not discounting that and i want to work towards that every day um but on a on a global scale we are we are definitely much better off than most nations um so anyways back to lbj just had to make that point (laughs) um so vietnam happens and uh well lbj still expanded you know public school funding he increased teacher pay you know, he tried. He tried to keep you know universities more affordable. You know the Pell grants, the TAP grants. Those, those started happening around this time, and uh, which McCall it in Vietnam. He, he really wanted to stick it to the communists. You know, and especially you know after FDR did all his programs, the Democratic Party did move more towards the left, and sometimes you know. Socialists seep in, communists seep into these programs because you are expanding the role of government. And some people on the far left, you know, really did like that. And even though we don't want them to be a part of our governing govern, governing coalition, they sneak in there. And, you know, it's hard to, you know, discount them. And so that's, that's pretty much um, what happens there is LBJ wants to stick it to the communists, and he kind of goes crazy, uh, commits some war crimes, for those of you out there who are purity testers on war crimes, and uh, he kind of like, there's this famous picture of him where he's pointing out, you know, where the missile should go, you know, where where the troops should go, and he was very much involved, involved in the war, too much, and the American public didn't like that. What you also had growing to in 1968, which is the uh, seminal election for Democrats, is this kind of um, activist base, you know, the hippie movement. Um, sorry for not finding a better term, but uh, yeah, the, the fucking hippies. Uh, kind of like, you know, these anti capitalist, these uh, anti, you know, uh, Copenhagen criteria, you know. Uh, free market capitalist countries that believed in the rule of law and order, that believed in the, yeah, law and order. Um, Some people just didn't. And some people thought, you know, cops were pigs, you know. This was really, cops were, you know, killers. Cops, you know, didn't uphold the law. And in 1968, we really started to see, especially in the Democratic Convention outside, we started to see uh, chaos on the streets outside of the Democratic Convention. And you had these, conservative Democrats are still kicking around, the good police types, the sheriffs, that were kind of rallying against, you know, these activists, you know, these hippies, these, you know, these ungrateful fucks, you know, that were kind of parading around on our dime, these black people that were out of control. Like these were the stereotypes that started forming. And once Democrats were able to worry about the economy, you know, and get that under control, start you know kind of creating this you know great american picture they started focusing more on cultural stuff they started focusing more on police and funding and uh they started to talk more about you know race and this is kind of where a lot of people feel like democrats you know lost their base lost their union workers you know higher rates of unionization under FDR and LBJ. We were at like 40% of the workforce was unionized. Today it's like 10%. And most of them are public sector. And this is kind of where you start to see America shift. And this is is where I feel democratic liberalism has kind of, kind of fades out after LBJ. And we really don't see another president like them. We kind of see... uh, the democratic party shift you know after you know lbj does this does the civil rights act does the voting rights act and then we start to see unrest in the streets in 1968 we start to see uh, you know the arms race and the cold war starting up and you know more anti communist rhetoric and then we see jimmy carter elected someone who would would uh kind of be, you know, more moderate than FDR, than LBJ. The LBG. They still believe that government is ultimately a force for good, but they're just not going to do the same programs, you know, that they believed in. And this is also where we start to see the emergence of uh, who, who who's like the more likable candidate, you know, the mainstream media kind of gets around this, you know, who, who could you grab a beer with? Who would you want to spend a night with, you know? And Jimmy Carter wins in 76, and as you know, watching the 1980 debates, you talk about, you know, the misery index. It's uh, 23% under Jimmy Carter. That's uh, inflation. Inflation has risen, and uh, Jimmy Carter was really bad on the economy. And this is also where we start to see the neoliberal framing of the economy, the um worrying about GDP worrying about you know other global players uh globalization really starts to happen during this 19 this 1980s period and you know we see Ronald Reagan we see the Reagan Revolution and I think this is where we see Ronald Reagan completely shift you know state legislatures uh, governors uh, freaking county legislatures like, those still matter at the end of the day and uh, reagan kind of shifts you know how we think about politics how we think about the political economy how we think about the american economy and you know what kind of what kind of what kind of world do we do we still want people to you know work 9 to 5 in labor jobs and are unions really good for the average worker you know do, are your union dues hurting you more than they're helping you And, uh, you know, I totally disagree with this Reaganite thinking, but it's just, it's a completely different way of seeing the world, you know? And I don't want to discredit that because there were great things that Ronald Reagan did economically, socially, you know, the AIDS crisis, it was a mess, but Reagan really, you know, created a better standard of living, you know, created more wealth than any other president ever, um. He really just did transform the political economy. And he saved us from the Cold War. You know, Jimmy Carter was in favor of, you know, demilitarizing, denuclearizing. That, looking back, that was just not the right policy to pursue. And (laughs) what? Would we want America to be denuclearized and, like, fucking, you know, Russia be able to nuclearize? And you think they're going to follow a treaty? You think China is going to follow a treaty? That was... Ultimately, and the thing too about Reagan was, he was proud about America, and I know there's I know there's negative connotations with that, but he ultimately did believe that um it's I'm proud to be an American, you know, we we did the slavery thing, it was bad. We did the Jim Crow thing, it was bad. Look, at the end of the day, America has been a fighter for civil rights and for human rights, and that's just. That's a winning message, I I feel, as an American, you know, that's, those are, those are the messages that win elections more than, you know, you can think, you know, oh, because FDR, like, did Social Security and did kind of, like, made sure that poor Americans had a, had a chance in, in their economy, that that's why he won so many votes. No, he won a war. <laughs> He united America, and I know Obama, and we'll talk about more Biden, you know, they're so, like, partisan and crazy for, like, wanting to do the Affordable Care Act. No. You know why? It's because it's because FDR won a war, and he united America, and he just happened to do a social policy that was really popular. And people, you know, they lost their cultural viewpoints, And they were able to see that, no, these social democratic policies work better than the free market ones that Reagan was trying out there. I ultimately believe that. As you know, someone who, you know, leans more to the left, more center left, you know. I am a biased person. Uh, But these are just kind of the themes we start to see throughout the Democratic Party, you know. The shift, too, of Jimmy Carter... He, this is one of the few last elections where the Democrats uh, win more in the South. And uh, we'll start to see after, you know, Michael Dukakis, you know, these are failed Democratic candidates, you know. He's a Northern liberal, and uh, he he believed in, you know, uh, less bail laws. And uh, the famous uh, ad is Willie Horton, you know, someone, someone who... Um, and i talk about this all the time with my friends about the new york bail laws and how ninety six 96 of criminals that are released under the bail laws do not commit another crime therefore the, recidiv- the recidivism rate is like four percent four percent of all criminals and you know that's a trade-off i'm willing to take personally for me but with those trade-offs you know you get criminals like willie horton when the massachusetts bail law was enacted and people just really couldn't get that picture out of their head of you know this you know criminal this you know like scrawny like black guy like walking your streets and he got out free on bail you know some people believe in law and order like to a t and that was kind of the betrayal of the democratic party you know they've been seen like soft on crime ever since no matter how much money we throw at the police We're still seeing a soft on crime because of, you know, these bail laws and defunding the police. And at the end of the day, I support reform for the police. I'd say like slight defund, not like a complete defund. But the majority of Americans just aren't with us on that issue. And it sucks. And uh, after Dukakis, you get Walter Mondale. And people really see this as the rejection as a New Deal politics. I don't because uh, Walter Mondale was just a horrible candidate. Uh, he was really bad uh, orating or during his speeches. Um, he just, uh, he was very snide and snobby. And that really sucks, especially as a Democrat, because you're already seen as an elitist. And I think where Democrats win the most is they put on this working class persona. Even FDR had, was like so rich, like really like, Top 10, like, wealthiest people in America at his time. He still, like, ran as a person of the people, you know, campaigning for the poor, um, you know, and that's just, that's where Democrats need to go again. So, after this, you know, Reagan revolution, 1980 to 1988, we get Bill Cloma, Bill Cloma, Uh, Bill Clinton, and... But what I was thinking about was DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act. Uh, don't ask, don't tell. More uh, conservative, you know, in these uh, social policies. And look, I, I as someone you know who center left hates Bill Clinton. Uh, I think, I think uh, where he got it right was on NAFTA. And you know, we can argue about this till the cows go home. But I very much believe in this new economy where, you know. Sooner or later, you know, 60, 70% of the population is going to have to go to college, is going to have to get a four-year degree, is going to have to work, you know, in in either the humanities and tech, you know, is going to have to, you know, get further degrees because technology will be able to do the stuff that manual labor can do. And us as humans, we have to utilize, you know, our educational capacities and we have to do stuff that is, you know, different. From uh, what technology can do, and Bill Clinton kind of laid the groundwork for that, you know, with the free trades with Mexico and Canada, and you know, kind of like more globalizing the economy out to China, uh, for better or for worse, you can you know think about that, but uh, yeah, he did sign more like Doha. Uh, he's also very much known for the, signing the Crime Bill with. During this time, you know, Newt Gingrich the Republican speaker, you know, takes over Congress. The Republicans start winning Congress. Um, Some would say it's gerrymandering. Uh, Others would say they just started uh, becoming more working class in their rhetoric. And they really, this is, Bill Clinton is the last president to start, to uh, win southern states reliably. The last president to win Tennessee. The last president to win Georgia until, you know, Joe Biden. Uh, The last president to win North Carolina, South Carolina. Till, till Obama did in 2008 once, and then we haven't seen it since. This is the last time Democrats really uh reliably won the South, and uh, we also start to see too with this new demo, the new Democrats, this new coalition, uh, the Democratic Leadership Council. Democrats were known as the party against Wall Street, you know, the party for the little man. Here they switched, and while I didn't think, I don't think in my Biased opinion. I don't think the Republicans, you know, switched with them to the working people because they still believed in regulation and tax cuts. And at the end of the day, that does not help working people. Um, anyways, um, pretty much uh Bill Clinton, you know, signed repealed Glass-Steagall. He signed, you know, the credit card bill with Joe Biden at the time, which uh, made it so you couldn't, you know, default on credit card debt. You couldn't default on student loan debt. Um, these are just kind of, you know, pro-business, you know, bills that hurt normal people at the end of the day. Um, two, Bill Clinton is also kind of known as, for, you know, Monica Lewinsky, his sex scandals, uh, government corruption, you know, you know, you could Democrat, you could donate to the Democratic Party and you'd be able to stay a night at the Lincoln Room in the White House, like, fucked up shit like that, uh... Democrats starting, you know, taking corporate money. This is kind of where uh, lobbyists come into the fold, too. And uh, Buckley v. Valeo, which kind of repeals, like, uh, limits. Limits to uh, kind of, like, uh, loosens limits for donating to campaigns. This kind of gave wealthier people disproportionately um, more voice than a campaign because they have more money. Uh, that's just a fact. Uh, be mad about it. Um, which i call it. <laughs> um so that's kind of the clinton years and this is kind of the you know the neoliberal new deal and like you know parents like you know parents who grew up during like the lbj and uh kennedy years they thought we could get to this society that's like borderless and stateless and you know liberals we could ultimately like make the entire globe like a capitalist heaven and everyone could kind of, uh, you know, benefit off of free market capitalism. And while I think it was naive thinking at the time, I ultimately think this line of thinking is, a uh, not bad per se. It's just, it's kind of too idealistic. Like I agree with some tenements, but I wouldn't go as far to say that China is going to, you know, join us in fucking the League of Nations or gonna be at the uh gonna be at the nato conferences now uh (laughs) but this kind of like it's a very much tone shift you know from like uh kind of like a liberal uh sort of uh international relations theory from like the realist theories of reagan and like we have global enemies and we need to protect america against these you know foreign nations um anyways now we have uh Al Gore, uh, and this kind of sparks the debate of the two thousand election. For the first time, you know, like Democrats lost the um, lost the electoral vote, but they won the popular vote. And uh, if we live, if we live in a democracy, which no, we live in a democratic republic, uh, pretty much um, shouldn't, shouldn't the person who gets the most votes win the popular vote? And this kind of sparks the discussion inside the Democratic Party of, uh, is everyone's vote one to one? Should we favor, um, you know, rural voters more than urban voters? Uh, should we favor like different states with different needs more? And this is kind of like crazy on uh, uh, where the Democratic Party started as Democratic Republicans. You know, they kind of believe that uh, st- some states had more power than other others and uh they believed in you know the workings of the senate and not like you know complete democracy and uh it's very uh crazy to see you know the democratic party shift and the party switch did happen and this is kind of a more populist line of thinking that uh really doesn't you know uh last doesn't become mainstream in the democratic party uh because, you know, you still have this neoliberal faction and the more um, populist AOC Bernie faction, which we'll get into soon. But, uh, you know, Al Gore uh, loses Florida, you know, um, where votes purged, probably uh, Catherine Harris, you know, awful. Um, anyways, um, good movie is uh, they made a good movie about the 2000 election. I forget the title of it, but it's on HBO Max. Everyone should watch it. Um Then uh, John Kerry, pretty much the same. And you know, you have 9 11, war on terror, yada yada. Pretty much uh, this kind of defines like American uh, life and foreign policy. And it kind of brings an end to uh, (laughs) everyone is our friend. And you know, we can, we can like, you know, fix America. And uh, no, we can kind of like fix the world and like. Make the world like a capitalist heaven. This kind of, like, ends those uh, conversations. Um, and, you know, we start wars in the Middle East. And, uh, you know, John Kerry was just, like, kind of the same as Al Gore, pretty much. Uh, nothing really changed. Uh, and John Kerry lost, just like Al Gore. Uh, lost by more. And, uh, yeah, the Democratic Party kind of, like, there's, like, this, alternate, this ultimate dilemma of, like, trying to keep working class and union people and trying to keep, you know, the meritocratic types, you know, who climbed the ladder and are now successful and are now part of the rich and do the rich oppress poor people. I don't know if some of my friends on the left think that. And, uh, you know, it's a really hard coalition to keep together. And you still got the hippies, you know, kicking around. Um, It's a very uh, contradictory coalition. So, you know, I don't really want to spend much time on John Kerry. He lost. He's a loser. Uh, then we have Obama, you know, comes into the fold. The contentious 2008 primary of Obama v. Clinton. We start to see, uh, I want to just throw his name out there, Mark Gra- Mike Gravel. Um, he's kind of like this Bernie Sanders type. He starts, uh, you know, the Gra- Gravel Institution. Uh, Gravel, not Gravel, shit. Uh, anyways, and uh, Mike Gravel, he kind of... Uh, he's very anti-war, wants to be less imperialist, uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, live and let live, you know, kind of more, uh, not really Jeffersonian because he's very uh, left culturally. And uh, he's kind of like uh, the precursor to Bernie Sanders in a way. Dennis Kucinich was like the same way too. He was a member of the House and he, you know, pushed uh, Medicare for all, pushed single payer healthcare, tried to push the Democrats back to this uh, new deal, uh, social democratic uh, coalition that they had in the 60s, while still pursuing, you know, um, uh, equality and race and uh, trying to pursue more, um, more um, you know, um, critical race theory. Uh, that's really a bad way of. Uh, saying it but uh trying to pursue a more uh, critical thinking of history and you know uh, what what our country could have been but then you know obama comes in 2008 he's this transcendent candidate much better than clinton uh screw clinton uh i don't like the clintons um obama does the affordable care act you know kind of like um as much as i love it and as much as you know the democrats love it it kind of does flop electorally and he gets select in 2010 but obama tries to thread this line of you know doing like union rights he had his uh he had his own pro act i forgot the name of it uh you know the fair pay act uh, Lily Ledbetter, uh, woman's equality, you know, this woman was, you know, getting paid like 60%, uh, the payment of a male worker at a Goodyear tire store. And so they passed legislation on that. And so we're starting to see more of feminist workings in the, uh, Obama coalition. And, uh, this is where we start talking about climate change, you know, expanding the, uh, Oh, God, what did the expanding the uh, EPA, the role of the EPA and, uh, you know, trying to stop more drilling. Um, Is that good or a bad thing? Who knows? Uh, Not good for the economy, but good for the environment. I'll say that much. Uh, He signed Dodd-Frank. So kind of like going back on Glass-Steagall, trying to, you know, regulate Wall Street more, especially after the 2009 recession. He wanted to try, you know, and. Stop that bullshit from happening again, for a lack of better terms. Uh, Economic stimulus kind of like saved capitalism. Uh, He bailed out, you know, corporations, but didn't bail out, you know, the homeowner who defaulted on their loan because they got offered a crazy loan. And uh, Obama gets critiqued from that, from the far left, you know. And uh, I feel like at the end of the day, you had to bail out Wall Street, you had to bail out the corporations because. It's just, it would be an economic free-for-all. And uh, I don't think a lot of people want that. Uh, Inflation would have been like 20%. Uh, I'm not joking. Like, it just would have been fucking crazy. Um, Anyways, uh, Citizens United gets decided. Uh, Shelby v. Holder. A lot of, like, seminal Supreme Court cases that kind of, like, tear away at this... uh, I I don't want to say left, because it's really not left. It's just like an expanded role of government. And I don't think that's more uh, left or right. It's just kind of more, you know, I think it's it's granting people more freedoms. Because you have Lawrence v. Texas, which establishes, you know, the right to sodomy in the bedroom. You know, the cops aren't coming in. Roe v. Wade, which I didn't talk about much. But Democrats are trying to keep that precedent, because they don't... They don't want people criminalizing people for abortions you know we want people to have the choice and that's kind of what the Supreme Court rulings are trying to say is we want people to have the choice but we also realize that government needs to come in and make sure that people have the right to vote so Shelby v Holder kind of repeals a section of the Voting Rights Act that tells states what they can do with their elections Uh, that's not good for the Democratic Party Um, Citizens United kind of like repeals more uh, funding barriers for elections and lets uh, more crazy batshit stuff happen with uh, lobbyists and they can meet with politicians, you know, more frequently. And it's kind of just like repealing more of campaign finance laws. And it's just it's not a good thing for Democrats. Uh, especially when you're trying to be the party of working class people. (laughs) Not a good thing. Um, so then we have, you know, Obama, you know, beats Mitt Romney in 2012. Then we have 2016. Hillary Clinton comes into the fold. Uh, what did she stand for? Um, I don't really know. She kind of just stood for everything Bill Clinton stood for. Uh, (laughs) Oh, except, you know, she's a girl, she's a woman, uh, identity politics, you know, uh, it's great. Um, yeah, um, what, what does she stand for? You know, tell me, tell me five things Hillary Clinton stand for, stood for, you know, NAFTA, which Trump grilled her over. And, uh, this is kind of where Republicans won working class votes. Yeah. people were less unionized, as I mentioned, 10% unionization rate today. People were um, in the uh, free market economy when corporations have more control over you, of course you're gonna want corporations to be more domestic. Of course you're gonna want corporations to have less market options so they can provide for you better and give you more pay and more jobs. That's kind of a different way of running the economy it's kind of being pro-worker in a sense without giving workers more rights. So if you have this more domestic economy, which Trump was pushing, we're seeing it right now with Joe Biden. McDonald's can pay $20 an hour because they can't they can't move out of America, you know? That the economy is so strong here, you know, that McDonald's can afford to pay workers $20 an hour and still make their margins. Um, so this is kind of where... Hillary gets screwed uh, because people are kind of saying fuck you to globalization. And Hillary also has these um, really unpopular positions on race and, uh, and on gender, too. Um, this whole deplorable comment, um, as much as, you know, I do think Trump supporters are kind of shit. As uh, someone, you know, who identifies as center-left, you know, biased opinion coming in as a partisan, as Obama would say, uh, swoop, swoop. Uh, <laughs> At the end of the day, those comments are horrible on a uh, if uh, on a nonpartisan scale. And uh, I feel like that did lose her the election, along with, you know, being pro-NAFTA, not really engaging with the topics. It was kind of just like another debate. It was a coronation. It was a... Uh, Obama was this great intellectual and awesome thinker and Hillary was not and she kind of just tried to adopt every one of Obama's talking points and it didn't work for her and along with the emails, you know, this government corruption that the Democratic Party is known for, um, she didn't win. Uh, She won the popular vote again uh, but she didn't win the electoral vote and uh, we can have a discussion about that, you know. At the end of the day, I would have loved Hillary to be the president over Trump, Uh, but, you know, rules are rules, and he lost, and I'm in favor of a one-to-one democracy, you know, the popular vote winning, but those just aren't the rules right now, and you have to campaign in Michigan, you have to campaign in Wisconsin, at least once, more than once, like, anyways, I'm also going to talk about, you know, Bernie and AOC, you know, We're starting to see this emergence in the Democratic Party of free public college, Medicare for all, uh, you know, Germany, single-payer system. Uh, All of Europe has single-payer healthcare. Why don't we? We're the richest country in the world. You know, uh, more working class uh, politics, you know, start the union, uh, $15 minimum wage. And we're also starting to see more social democratic uh, tenets, as I was talking about earlier, um, trying to create... Trying to create uh, equity. So, equity is different from equality. Equity means the same funding for all public schools. I support equality of opportunity, but I support equity when it comes to funding public schools because, God, we really need to give fucking people in Fredonia the same chances, you know, in freaking, um, you know, the the rich neighborhoods of Buffalo. Like, that's just a given uh, if you if you don't believe in that um i don't know It's that's tough uh, government can be a force for good uh, get owned um which we call but we start to see uh, AOC with the 90% tax rate for anyone making over uh, you know a billion dollars you know the any money you make over a billion we tax at 90% we start to see Elizabeth Warren too with the uh, um uh, what is it to fund medicare for all, she wants to, you know, tax the wealthy, kind of like what Europe does. And it's not it's not from an when Elizabeth Warren does it, it's not from an anti-capitalist perspective. It's from a, a capitalist perspective. Uh, it's from a, you know, solving income inequality, which is very much a capitalist line of thinking. You know, instead of like people getting screwed over by capitalists, capitalism creates income inequality because some people work harder than others and deserve their lot. But we should still try to, you know, you know, smooth it out just a little. Not like equity, but a equality of opportunity, you know. And that's kind of what, the, that's where I think the Democratic the, Dem, the democratic Party, the Democratic Party should go, is uh, creating equality of opportunity. Uh, still being a capitalist party, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> oof, um, we can get into that topic another day, but... Um, Yeah, we should definitely be, you know, praising, you know, these, you know, these smart economic policies that, you know, people with PhDs are praising. People who are smarter than the average American, you know, and I wouldn't say that on a campaign trail because that would get me, you know, canceled. But uh, these people are meant to write economic policies and they're better than, you know, this redistribution is, you know, much better than free market capitalism, unregulated capitalism, and neoliberal politics. It's just better. Um, And then we have the Democratic Party of today, you know. uh, Joe Biden, you know, the moderate coalition beat the uh, left coalition. And uh, we have the CHIPS Act and, uh, you know, the American Rescue Plan. Uh, More protectionist thinking. uh, More anti-China, because anti-China is kind of the rallying cry for everyone uh it's you know 80 percent of americans you know agree with you know defeating china defeating communism and uh chips act you know is going to do that shift uh semiconductors over uh away from taiwan which china could attack american rescue plan uh that was kind of the fdr you know last gaps it was kind of like the obama you know the economic stimulus uh Trying to like you know slightly bail out the corporations while still like giving working people money and while it might have led to some inflation, also you know what led to inflation was the war in Ukraine, a little bit corporate greed not as much as some people on the left like to think, but uh, it really was they they just released a Paul Simon study uh three percent of inflation can be contributed to the American Rescue Plan and you know what that's three percent I would take. For the two thousand dollars are you fucking kidding me um but with the war in ukraine and corporate greed and price gouging it turns out to eat to 10 percent, and that that really hurts working people and as much as it's you know joe biden's fault as much as it isn't he gets the blame and uh so that's kind of that's the general uh history of the democratic party for the most part uh I just wanted to touch on some last themes while I'm closing. Uh, to, this is you know, gonna be the dividing line for decades to come. Are we a working class party? Or are we a college educated party? Is there a meritocracy? And uh, does the Democratic Party wanna be, I'm gonna talk in European politics for a sense, but do they wanna be like Christian, Christian Democrats? Do they wanna be like mostly neoliberal and have like good government come in? So this Obama, Obama, really, Obama is the guy who kind of like tries to thread the line between like uh, globalization and uh, the neoliberal order and uh, still trying to uh, do some like social democratic stuff, you know, Um, Pell Grants, TAP Grants, uh, HBCUs. Or do we want to, you know, um, you know, go back to democratic liberalism and social democracy, and uh keynesian more way of thinking instead of this uh milton freeman kind of or this uh neoliberal way of thinking where we only come into the economy where it needs to happen we only you know intervene when it needs to happen and so uh that's the end of the podcast i hope you uh, like this first episode um about the history of the democratic party uh if you want to see more content, uh, make sure to leave a comment. Uh, I have an Instagram, uh, Michael A Williams Actor. That is the handle, and uh, you can always DM me, reach out. You know, see what kind of episodes you would like, and uh, that's the first episode of the podcast. So I hope you uh, support me on this journey, and hopefully, you know, one day I'll start a Substack. You know, have a uh, theme song at the beginning, and uh, I hope you enjoyed and. You know, if you wanna see more content, just support me. Okay, signing up for now. See ya.